There was a professor in college, and he wanted to teach his students one day about the concept of priorities. So what he did is he got a large jar, and he filled the jar uh, with small rocks or small pebbles. And then he had a a larger rock that was uh, just small enough to where he could go ahead and put it into the jar. So he went ahead to go ahead and try to push it into the jar because it was all the way filled up. It wouldn't go in. So he went ahead and he proceeded. He dumped out all the rocks there onto the table and he put the, the large rock, the big one, uh, right there on the bottom. And then he went ahead and filled up the rest of the container and a jar. And, uh, and the lesson that he wanted to teach, and I want you to see this on the screen here today, take care of the big thing first. You do that, then you will have room for the little things. But if you fill your life with too many little things, so the big thing can't get in, we wind up losing the big thing that we really need. Can I just tell you here this morning, for those who are new and for those who have been with me a long time, God is the big rock. He is the big thing. Everything else in our life is a stone compared to the rock. And the problem is, uh, is our life has so many stones, a lot of times, that there's just not room for the rock. We're busy. We, we have a lot of things going on in our life. Our world and, is filled with work and play and exercise and entertainment and phone devices and computers, relationship and TV. And then uh, we, we think about the rock and then we just, we, we're just kind of too tired for it or maybe disinterested in the rock. And then we get upset with the rock when we look to him and we ask him maybe for some things and it just doesn't seem to work out. For this next month, we're going to talk about repositioning God in our lives and moving him for wherever he is in our life to making him first. Now, the question, when I look at this series, is there any upside to this for our lives? And I say, amen, absolutely, yes. Now, if we make that decision... Okay, to really put God first in our lives, will there be any pushback? Oh, absolutely yes. No question about that. And you will see if you are a reader of the Bible over and over from Genesis to Revelation, we, we see from the scriptures that God says, I want to be first in your life. And we're going to look at here today, if you have a Bible, I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to look at a church called Ephesus, and, uh, and I want to kind of give you a little bit of background here. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, Ephesus basically uh, was like New York. It was, it was like New York City, the New York City of its time. It was a bustling place. 
activity, business world, commerce, entertainment. I mean, it was really a happening place. And it was also a center for religious paganism. There were all kinds of gods, all kinds of idols that people were bowing down to. But then in the middle of this city, there was a church that was started. God's spirit broke out. Many people came to, to know God. God had touched their lives supernaturally, filled with his spirit. And, and then it's years later, God wants to write a letter to this church and to the leader. And I want you to see, I want you to go with me to, to verse 1. And it says here, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, says this. And so what he's trying to say here to to the church and to the leaders right there, he says, God is there in your midst. He's, He's there walking the rows. He's walking there by the pews and the chairs. And he is observing What is going on? Not only in your church, but in your lives. And he has a word for them. He wants to speak to them. And by the way, not only does he have a word for them, but today he has a word for us. And here is this word. He says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you, and you found them to be false. Let me just point out a couple things to you. Here, Jesus starts out complimenting the church. He says, I know your deeds. Deeds means your activities, your work. And basically what he's saying, he says, I can see that you're a serving church. And that's a good thing. And then he goes down, he says, I not only see your good deeds, but I see your toil. You're a sacrificing church. Now that word toil in the Greek means to labor to the point of exhaustion or to break a sweat. So he's telling me, he says, guys, you work hard. You really put your back into whatever's there. I mean, you, you put a great amount of effort And then he uses this word perseverance. He says, you're a steadfast church. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And he says, you guys, you're hanging in there. And then he goes, he says, and you cannot tolerate evil men. And basically what he's talking there, he says, you're a separated church. You call sin, sin. What's wrong? You don't, you don't, you don't, you're not beating around the bushes. You tell it like it is. You have a standard that you operate by, and that's a good thing. That's wise. And then he goes down to verse 3. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. And right there, basically, he says, you're a suffering church. I can see that, 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 that you're willing not only to go through hard work, but you're willing to be persecuted. You're willing to suffer for my name. And by the way, he says, I want to commend you in all these things. You're really doing well here. You're, I, I, I'm proud of you. You're, you're doing really great. But and then he, he, uses this, he uses this word, 
but, and he goes down to verse 4, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Now, Jesus here gives five compliments, okay? He, I mean, he's telling, guys, you're doing awesome. You're really doing good. Uh, and, but here's the deal. You've left your first love. You've left the rock. And I have this against you, okay? Now, we think, you know, five compliments, you know, and, 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 and just one thing, man. We're, we're doing pretty good, not too bad. So what's kind of going on here? I want to just kind of point out a couple of things. You can serve God, my brothers and sisters, and still not love God first. Diddle on, you can sacrifice for God and still not love God first. You can be steadfast, supposedly, for God. You can be separated. I mean, living a holy life, separated, and not have a love for him first. I want you to notice something. This is very important. He didn't say you don't love me at all. He says you no longer love me first. Uh, I remember, I mean, uh, I've done a a lot of premarital counseling, done a a number of weddings through the years, in the 31 years that I've been a, a pastor. And generally, for the most part, I will not marry a couple unless they make an agreement to go through counseling. We're going to go through about six or seven sessions. And, uh, and, and I just say right up front I, I, to the couple, I don't care who it is, I, I say, I'm not making a guarantee. Uh, I'm honored that you're asking me uh, as a pastor or whatever to go ahead and participate and perform this, this uh, re- holy ceremony. I mean, I think it's a holy thing. It's a God thing. It's, it's, it's a super important thing. I said, I'm not going to throw my hat in the ring unless I personally feel good about it. And, uh, and if I feel good about it, it we'll meet one session. And I'll feel, I, uh, then we're going to go, and then we proceed, and we, we'll go through, and we'll talk about, you know, what to expect, you know, and what to prepare for. And I remember there was this couple that I was uh, uh, speaking with, and we had made an agreement. We're gonna, I was going to go ahead and marry him. And, and we were about into the third session. And, and it kind of went to the, to the area of we were just talking about priorities. And, uh, and, and it just came out. And, and here was this, I mean, he had been previously married, uh, had, had, a, had a kid. And, and here's, here, here was his priorities. Number one uh, was, was his kid. Number two was his job. And number three was his soon-to-be wife. And I looked at her like this, and I said, are you comfortable with this? And, uh, and she just kind of, I, I said, I, I tell you what, I'm not. And so uh, like Shark Tank, I said, I'm all in. I'm, I, I, I quit. I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of this. And, and basically what, what is happening right here is, is there's people who call them Christians, followers of Christ. And, and they, they have a love for God, but he's just not first. Why? Because of the busyness of life uh, just begins to crowd out Jesus. You can be spiritually busy and Jesus would not be happy because you've left your first love. Notice who left. God says, you left me. I didn't leave you. You left me. And, And God will never leave us. We can leave him, but he will never leave us. 
I remember a few years ago, I was with Pastor Addis and a few of his kids, and my kids, we went out on his boat, and we were going for those little round things, uh, uh, scallop. We were going scallop, and, and uh, I had a, a couple of my kids there, and, uh, and I was there, and my youngest one, uh, who was not really good at swimming, and uh, so they went out, and they're, they're swimming around, and, and, and he was just not real comfortable, and so we got back into the boat, and there was, we were anchored, and, and I'm looking at, you know, looking at these guys, and I, I keep on noticing they're, they're going farther and farther away. I'm wondering, what's going on? What are they doing? I mean, they, they're gonna, it's going to be a long swim back, you know, and I'm going, geez, what, 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 what's going on? And, and, and then I'm hearing, ah, you know, going like this, and without even knowing it, okay, even though there was an anchor I was, the boat was drifting away from them, and I didn't even recognize it. Now, I want you to see this word love. You've left your first love. I was looking at this word love. I want you to, I want you to see this. It's on the screen. Write this down in your notes. It means to focus on preference. Love right here is to focus on preference. To love God, to make him the first love of your life, is to prefer him over anyone or anything in our life. First involves preference, passion, and affection. To those who are married here today, do you remember when you fell in love? Can you, can, you remember, can you remember that season? Remember that? I mean, to the point was, you know what? I'm tired of saying goodbye. Uh, I, I, you know, I just want to spend the rest of my life. I mean, do you remember that? Do you remember, I, I, you, you remember those moments. And Jesus is saying, I mean, just think about it. I mean, the, the sacrifice, the loss of sleep that we went through, the high phone bills before there were cell phones and all of those things. Jesus says, I'm no longer your preference. I'm no longer your passion. And he's upset. The fire of the relationship is missing. He said, you have settled for religion. You have settled for rituals. And you have abandoned, not abandoned, but you, you have put me down on the list. And I'm very upset about that. One of the favorite things that June and I love to do as a couple, I mean, uh, we lo- both love food and we both love to go out to eat. And there's been many times as we've been out to restaurants, and I just kind of take a look around who's my, my, my surroundings. And, 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 and there's been a number of times I'm watching couples uh, that you could tell they've been married for, you know, they got, yeah, do they got a, mar- yeah, they got a marriage ban. And, and I, I can't tell how many times I've seen couples. I don't know if any of you've seen this, but they're there. They're, they're across from each other. But nothing's going on. You know, I remember one lady, she's just kind of there just sitting there, uh, you, know, uh, you know, got her finger on the top of her glass. And, I mean, no passion, no fire. And, and, uh, and then you see other couples, man, they're just, they're, I mean, they're, they're just looking into each other's eyes. They're connecting, they're talking. Uh, they're, there's passion, there's excitement there. And God says, that's what I want. Jesus says, you got the religion thing down, but the fire is gone. Duty has now replaced devotion. And Jesus says, I am not going to compete 
with the stones. You see, the bad thing about religion is it can fool you. It can camouflage the relationship that you have with God and think that you have relationship with God where you just have religion. I remember early on in my 20s, young and dumb. And I, I remember uh, there was this, uh, I, uh, it, there was a, a lady that I knew, but I hadn't seen her in a while. And so it, it was a while, it had been a, probably a long time. And then I seen her and I looked at her and uh, and I, I and so she's round, okay? I mean, it's like this. And so I said, when, when, when are you expecting? I said, so obviously you're pregnant. When are you expecting? And, uh, and she says, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> yes! <laughs> you talk about an uncomfortable moment, not only for her, but I was red. I was so embarrassed, okay? I will never, after, I mean, I learned my lesson that day. My brothers and sisters, it could look like you're carrying life when there's no life at all. I want you to see with the church right here that God is writing to, that God wasn't done away with. He wasn't forgotten. Oh, no. They still had relationship with him. I mean, they talked to him when, when, when it was convenient, when they had time for God. Okay, God, I'm going to go ahead and fit you into my schedule. Or when there was an emergency, they definitely were checking in with God. But they just simply lost the time of just wanting to be with him first. I want you to see here on the screen. You always have time for what is first. You make time. I make time for what is first in my life. There's no question about that. When I first came to know the Lord, 19 years old, I come home from work. Uh, it was during the summertime. Uh, I started my day off, and uh, I met come and have, have, have something, to, you know, have a snack or whatever. I head up to my bedroom, cracking open my Bible, uh, just seeking God's face. And my dad, who didn't know the Lord, uh, was unsaved. My mom, who did know the Lord, didn't understand what was going on in my life. And uh, God was speaking in my heart, my life. And to be honest with you, I just wanted to be with him. I mean, God was just so real to me. First means priority. It's, it's the rock. And he says, you don't love me that much anymore. And God will not settle for that. And if you do not believe me, I want you to hear the words of Jesus, probably one of the most startling scriptures in all of the Bible. When he says here in Matthew 10, 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And by the way, so just want to, I want to put a disclaimer. God is, and Jesus is not anti-family. He's huge on the family. He wants, he wants dads to be good leaders and, 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 and to be good husbands and to be good fathers and wives to be good wives and good moms and, and all that. He's all into relationships. But he says, I want your love and commitment to me to outweigh your commitment to your families. 
Some of you mama bears in here, you said, my kids, man, don't you, don't you get in the way of my kids. And I understand that and, that, and that is a good thing. But are you willing to make this kind of a commitment to your Savior, to say, I really love him? He's too, totally, totally first in my life, but like the mom that was on the beach in a Muslim area. And she had her kids there, right, right, right there with her. And, 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 and these, these extremists who, who were anti-Christians, and they said, you denounce your faith in Jesus. You denounce Jesus, and you will be able to live. And they had a barrel right there. And if you, they said, if you don't, we're going to go ahead and put you into the barrel and push you out there into the sea. And she had her kids right there with her. And she looked at, the, at her kids, and she looked at them, and she says, kids, don't you dare. Don't you dare turn away from Jesus. I love you, but I love Jesus. And I will not denounce him. And they put her into the barrel, shoved her out, the waves took her out, and they began to fire it right there in front of the kids. She loved Jesus first. She took this scripture seriously. Jesus said, the reason I want to be first is because I am first. I'm the alpha. Treat me like I am. So I ask you a question here this morning. Where is God positioned in your life? Where is God positioned in your schedule, your plans? Are you including him? Are you seeking him? God, what do you want to do with my life? Can I just tell you, yes, God wants to cut in line, but it's for your good. It's always for your good. God, anything that God wants to do, it's always for your good. It always flows from a heart of love. Now, I know that there's people here, that the Holy Spirit is going like, wow, what? Am I, are you really first in my life? And, and I know that there's people in here, God's not first in your life. What do you do? Especially for those who, where Jesus once was first in your life. I want you to see what the word says. There's an answer to this. Three things to re- reposition God in your life to make him first. Let's look at verse five. So he pivots. He says, I hold this against you. And then he uses this word, therefore. When he, whenever you see there in the Bible, uh, when you see this word, therefore, you've got to say, what is this word, therefore? Therefore, He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen. So the first blank right there, write down this word, remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember from where basically you, you came. And this, this word remember there in the Greek, it, it is a commandment. It's a commandment to constantly, to just to remember from where you came from, to, to just take a look back from what God rescued you from, what God forgave you from. It's not hard for me to remember uh, what I was like before Jesus came into my life. I remember very well that day it was a very stark day of when Christ came into my life, when God spoke to me and showed me that I was not such hot stuff and really that good. In fact, God showed me, you're evil. You're a liar. You use people. And you're not right with me. 
And it went, and I remember that, that I, that I thought I was okay. I'm trying to live my life by the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'm trying to practice the golden rule, but God says, yeah, you're religious, but you're not right with me. And so I, when I saw, I mean, the, the condition of my soul, I mean, it, it caused me to bow down and get on my knees and say, God, have mercy, Lord, forgive me. And so my life was forever changed. And that's why, I, 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 as I was just thinking about this, remember, that's why there's, I look at first-generation Christians, second-generation Christians, and third-generation Christians. And, and by the time uh, what happens, you have a first-generation Christian who you know, is experiencing Christ. What happens, uh, they're so grateful for what God's done for them. I mean, canceled the debt, paid the debt for their sins, gives them a new start. We're, we're adopted into our family. I mean, the, the motivation to live right and to live a holy life and a life that's honorable to the God is because we're not doing it because we're trying to pay God back. It's just because we just, God, we're thankful that you would take me and, and, and then you take that for that person that's so grateful. And then it's the second generation and they're raising their kids. And, and, and a lot of times they're shielded. Those kids are shielded from what they went through. And so they're not, they're not quite as bad as we were. And therefore, I mean, they haven't had, quote, the sinful life. And it's very hard for them to be, you know, gosh, man, I haven't really done that bad of things. And so they're really not that grateful. And by the time it comes to the third generation, okay, things begin to just really die out. Ritual, religion will keep us from a relationship with Christ. Hebrews 10, 32 says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how it all started. Remember when you got saved? Remember the feeling how clean you felt, the forgiveness? Remember the presence that you felt? Remember that? Can, can anybody say amen to what I'm saying here this morning? So the first part, <coughs> if God is out of position in your life, he's third, fourth, I don't know where he is, start off with remember. And the second thing is to repent. He says, remember where you came from and repent. Now, we've heard that word, and a lot of times there's, the world would make fun of that word. But that word is very important to us coming to know God and experiencing him. Repent means to reverse course, to turn around. It's more, listen to this, this is so huge, so important. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. I'm going down the wrong way. In fact, I want you to see this on the screen. I'm wrong is not repentance. I'm wrong is confession. It's huge. That's the starting point of, re of repentance is admitting, hey, I'm a sinner. I'm wrong, God. I, I've been living wrong. I, I've been doing it wrong, Lord. And, uh, and, that's, re and that's a good thing. <clears throat> but re repenting is, is doing the U-turn. It's reversing course on the, on the road to avoid a collision and crash. Now, by the way, anything that you repent of in the Bible, it's called sin. Listen to this. 
This is going to bother some of you. Losing your first love is a sin. It's not a bad habit. It's not a gross sin. It's not a mistake. But God looks at losing your first love as spiritual rebellion when he is not first. So why does he tell us to repent? What's all beyond? Here's the upside. Here's the upside for you and I. It's to restore relationship and to limit consequences. There's consequences when, when we, the Bible what it calls, calls it backsliding or just drifting away. There's, there's, there's no question about it. There's, God's not out to, to, to punish. God's there to restore relationship. And that means, that means repentance, it, it adjusts priorities, it adjusts schedules. That means that's, I'm going to make a decision at nighttime to go ahead and turn the TV off for maybe a half an hour earlier, and I'm going to go to bed a half an hour earlier so I can wake up, get, you know, get a shower in, have a cup of coffee, I don't know what it is, so I can go ahead while it's still quiet in the day before all the challenges, I'm going to get into his presence. I'm, I'm going to meet with him. Maybe some of you are not a morning person. You say, man, I, it, takes me, it takes me six hours you know, to wake up when I supposedly wake up. And I'm not being legalistic about it, but you're saying, I am in a car, I'm taking, I'm going to my car, I'm going to get my lunch right there, I'm going to read the word, I'm going to spend time in God's presence, I'm going to worship, I'm going to let him speak to me. And I mean, we're, we're, we're making adjustments. I, in fact, there's something that so has a hold of you. It may be games, uh, I don't know, it may be the phone device, the computers, it, it's keeping you, it's, you know what, I'm just going to kind of put that on the shelf and so I can reestablish relationships. It's restructuring. And then third, repeat. He says, and then and do the de- deeds that you did at first. It was working for you. What you were doing at first was really working for you. God's saying, go back to what you did first when it was just me and you. He says, remember when it was just me and you? Just you, you and me, me and you just kind of hanging out together. And uh, I was with you and you were with me. And it was before the stuff. It was before the blessings. And we just, we, we just did fine. And because of that, that's why I blessed you with this good stuff. This is why I brought the, these good things in your lives. This is why blessings happened. Now it's no longer just us. You just kind of fit me in when you can. No wonder many, in, in, in these last days, there's so many things that just try to get us off point. So many little stones that are not necessarily bad, but the enemy of our soul will just let things, and, and we just kind of drift away. And then we say, man, I used to have so much peace, so much joy, and now I'm walking in a place. There's, there's turmoil. Uh, I'm not experiencing his presence. I'm not experiencing his power. I, where's the answer prayer like I used to experience it before? God is saying, I'll help you with the stones as long as you keep me as the rock. And he says here in verse 7, it says, he who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
God is looking for listening ears here at Calvary Church. He's looking for people. I'm not just talking about right here listening, right here physically. He's, these are people that are saying, I'm dialed in, Lord. I, I'm hearing your word through the prophets. I'm hearing your word through the pastors. That are, God, I, I, I recognize, Lord, that this is my spiritual food. I recognize, God, that you want to say something to me. And those who have listening ears that are not just showing up to church on Sunday mornings, uh, but they're coming to say, God, I need to hear a word from you, Lord. I, I want you, God, to strengthen me, Lord, to feed me here. And the result is, it says right here, he will be an overcomer. And he says, and I will grant them to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What is that all about? What is he really in saying? Here's what, the, here's, what, here's what God's saying. He said, if you make me first in your life, you'll experience me in ways like you've never experienced me before. He said, if you make me first in life, I promise you, you will, you will, he said, it was like, it's going to be like going back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, God was walking with them and speaking with them and revealing himself to them in very personal and very real ways. Jesus puts it this way in John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. You know what, people, uh, my guests and visitors, and the number one reason why people come to church, especially for those who've been away from it, they want to experience God again. And if anyone is here in this room, if you want to experience God You've got to come into a personal relationship with him. Confess, repent, and surrender to the one who died for your soul. Lord, I'm making you first. And God says, I'm going to reveal myself to those who who make me first in life. Job put it this way. He says, "I, I have heard of you. By the hearing of the ear. He says, I heard, he says, I heard the, I heard the prophets, I heard the pastors speaking about you. He says, I've heard all about it, but he says, now all of a sudden, now I'm experiencing you in a way that I've never experienced. He says, but now my eyes see you. How does that happen? It happens as we have a love first relationship with him. Would you close your eyes and pray with me this morning?